so the the Eden Prairie Mall, which is like where I went to high school, you know, mm-hmm. um, like middle school, high school, and like right when I moved there, the Eden Prairie Mall was still the mall where they filmed Mallrats. Nice. Like they hadn't remodeled it yet, which they did after that, and like totally ruined it. Like just destroyed the vibe. But uh, back when it was still the Mallrats Mall, they had like the old movie theater still in there. And it was like super nasty, like uh, <laughs> sticky. Yeah, just super gross. It looked like it was straight out of 1982. Like big, colorful triangles everywhere and shit like that. Just I carpet. Love that shit. Yeah, wall to wall carpet. And it was like, did it have like that like super colorful like galaxy carpet? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it was like dark brown from all the years of like just gunk, you know, mm. like it was super mm. nasty. But uh, <laughs> they had a great arcade, and the best thing they had was an original Arkanoid cabinet with the spinner. Yeah. yeah, and it was just so fun to play. Yeah. So when I got the cabinet, I got it for like eighty dollars off Craigslist, and it was an Arkanoid, and and the spinner was fucked, and so when. I, when I decided to like revamp it, I, I, I remade the entire control panel, but I, I knew I wanted to put a spinner in the middle. And I got this fancy one from uh, the UK. This dude makes a bunch of like new arcade parts that work well with like PCs. Oh, nice. And so I, I got, yeah, the spinner is like perfect. It's like, it's got weight to it, you know, oh, and you can like yeah. spin it real good. But like, really, I just like, you know, play with my finger on it. It's just so subtle. Like, the movement's so good. Nice. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the one in the movie theater there was real gnarly. You had to, like, full hand slap it. <laughs> but that was, like, the fun of the spinner control, you know? Yeah, and you can't fake that. Like, you can't play spinner games with a controller. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. You just can't do it. Maybe like, with a mouse, but... Like, I haven't played Arkanoid since then because <laughs> of that. Because it's, like, it's not Arkanoid. But I would also argue that it's also not Arkanoid unless you're playing it in the mall where they shot mall rats. <laughs> mm. Well, that's what I want my uh, dining room to be. I just want it to be like a Pizza Hut from 1983. Oh, sure. I'm, I, I want to bring in wood panels. <laughs> sure. Just kidding. I, I actually don't know what the hell to do with the dining room. Like, that seems like such a, like, uh, 80s parent thing to have, like, a dining room. Well, So you know, that's where the arcade games are going to live. What was funny is that when we were growing up, we always had a dining room. And we had, like, dinner parties and stuff, but, like, mm. I would say, like, 90% of the time, it was just, like, a project table. Yeah, so, the table exactly. would just be covered in papers and files and whatever people were working on. A so, great place to fold laundry. Yeah. I kind of feel like that's sort of <laughs> what a dining room actually is. And then when you have guests over, you just, like, clear it off. Yeah. yeah. But, I don't know. Yeah, the Pizza Hut idea, that's kind of dope. Well, because like, I've got, you know, the two arcade games and I've got like a bunch of like movie posters. Like I don't want movie posters like in the living room, you know, it just doesn't seem right. Sure. You have like a little retro throwback room or something. It's, it, might, it seems like a cool place to put it. Sure. And it's a dining room. We like who uses a dining room anymore? Yeah. I mean, you know. well, you know, now I'm thinking about it. I guess like in the, the house that we used to rent, we had like a big open area that was like kind of a dining room. Mm hmm. And we didn't have anything there for a while. And then we got this big table, this big, ugly table. We used to call it the Dracula table. Because it was like <laughs> this, this kind of like gothic painted black dining table. It was like huge. And, uh, you know, we actually did. I mean, you ate there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like we actually had people over and we had bands there. And we actually used it quite a bit. But like I would say, you know, the thing we used it for the most was having bands stay with us and then having mm-hmm. having meals with them and so yeah it's like if that's not happening it's kind of like hmm you know yeah and we're like you know four months into like never having people over yeah and it feels like it's gonna be like that way forever yes so, yeah it could be a significant chunk of time so yeah mm-hmm. i would just i would just turn it into something else i mean i'm really into like modular shit now since we moved into a, an apartment so mm-hmm. like Cause like when we first moved in, we had this big ass table. That was a table was there when you guys stayed with us, mm-hmm. and it was like way too big for the room. And then at some point, I was like, "God, we have to get rid of this table." Got rid of it, and then we got like a, a wooden folding table, mm-hmm. which is actually awesome. Cause then 
like you can actually just fold it up and move it out of the way if people are seeing sure. you or if you just want to do something else. Like one time I wanted to record acoustic guitar, but I wanted to like mic up the whole room. Mm-hmm. So I like folded it and moved it out of the way so I could do that. Like I've done other stuff with it too. And like obviously we're doing that because we don't have much space in here, but I feel like mm-hmm. now like when we move to a place that has more space, I'm still going to kind of like that, you know? It's nice to have things be a little modular. Well, it's nice to be able to convert spaces easily. Like, man, I used to paint, and I would do, like, huge paintings. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it would be cool to, like, convert a room into a painting room for, like, two or three months, you know, so I can knock something out. Yeah. And convert it back when I'm done. Totally. Well, it's like our music space now. I mean, we have it wired up because we're working on a bunch of, like, recordings, but Mm -hmm. whenever I need to work on video stuff, like even in our old space, which was huge, like I would just tear down the drums and set up like a whole like lighting rig and backdrop and like do all that kind of shit. So it's I like, do want like a quasi permanent like drum setup though with all the mics hooked up with, you know, the mixer. You know, yeah. That'd be tight. It's, it's easy. I mean, like I yeah. set it up in our room cause we did both my bands are working on records and like we had to go do the drums and like I set it up for one band. I just left it up and then another mm-hmm. heaven's been going in there and just like whenever we can just going in safely and doing just like drum tracks. Like yeah. it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, I'm not, and I'm just not going to tear it down. Like I said, until we have to do video stuff, but I don't think we're going to do, we're going to do some outside outdoors video stuff. <laughs> safe, safe. It's the only way. Yeah, we got some some pretty wacky ideas. We're going to go do some weird shit, so. Nice. Yeah. I would say, but I don't want anyone to take my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> they're really they're really good ideas. Nice. Uh so anyway, this is Zero Brightness. Video games. <laughs> this is a podcast about Well, it's about whatever we want it to be about. And today we're talking about <laughs> uh film adaptations of video games that don't suck. The video games don't <laughs> suck and the movies don't suck. It's a pretty small pool. You know, horror video games, it should be like so easy to make a movie out of a horror game. Are you kidding? But all the Western ones suck. You know, Silent Hill 1 as a film is debatable. You like it. I don't really like it, but, you know, a lot of people stand for that movie. There are really no examples of Western-released horror game movies that I would really defend as being, like, worth watching. Well, and, you know, this is actually a really interesting double feature to kind of interrogate why. So, (laughs) we're talking about Fatal Frame 2014. Uh, Mm -hmm. that's the thing to Google if you want to find the details on this movie. Uh, but it's called fatal frame in English. It's called, uh, Geki Joban zero in Japanese, which translates to (laughs) zero the movie. Uh, cause that's what fail frames called in Japan. And we're talking about detention from 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, now that one very hard to find and we'll talk about why, but, uh, you can probably guess (laughs) given that it's, an adaptation of a Red Candle Games release. Well, it is a Warner Brothers movie. Uh, it's kind of shocking that it hasn't even gotten like a little release here yet. Yeah, but not as shocking if you read uh, the Chinese objection to the film. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yep. Anyway, we'll get into that later. Uh, the point here is that um, these two movies, I love these movies. I think they're both mm. great, especially Fatal Frame. Holy shit, I love this movie so much. But what's interesting about both these movies, like them or not, is that they both have different approaches to adapting the video games that they're based on. Mm -hmm. Almost polar opposite approaches, but they have kind of similar styles and tones in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, so what I'm... You know, we've talked about adapting things on the show before, but I guess, you know, when you're adapting something from one uh, form to another, you're always kind of making these decisions and choices. You're trying to decide what to change in order to make it work 
in the mm-hmm. new form, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing for me, I'm never surprised if a video game adaptation sucks as a movie because <laughs> a video game has a totally different way of interacting with the I guess viewer or player in this case than a movie does right sure so like when we talk about our favorite moments in horror games even if it's something super linear we are at least gonna mention something related to the gameplay that's procedural right Mm -hmm. so we're gonna mention like oh in the last of us i liked it when i got to do this little tiny side thing and go to this house that i didn't have to go to hear this optional dialogue that was cool right right like when they make the last of us hbo show that's gonna be a hard thing to carry over right totally and and that's even like the most one of the most linear games that we've played for the show right that's why he's Mm -hmm. as an example then you look at something way more procedural like uh you know like alien isolation or something oh yeah and that's like all the good parts are procedural they're not really no one's talking about the story in the fucking game right so you're there's a real difficulty there Mm -hmm. um so the reason i say that these two movies have a different approach is that fatal frame is basically like a totally different thing that sort of just looks at fatal frame cherry picks some ideas and themes and then makes a totally different story that is way way far from and even the tone and the style of Mm -hmm. the movie it's like this is fatal frame it's like no not really but in like the fucking coolest way possible (laughs) detention on the other hand is very faithful actually to the game and there's really only structural story changes and a couple things tweaked to make it work as a movie i would say that detention as um film might give you a better appreciation of the story beats in the game oh yeah you know fleshes out some of that human drama you know Mm -hmm. that you don't really get playing a side scroller well and the thing that impressed me about detention was that it managed to have the same story with the same beats and the same twists and the same messaging um and it was almost as abstract and weird as the game but because you were Mm -hmm. watching as a film and the way they presented it it made more sense i think Mm -hmm. i think if you wanted to criticize a story in the game you could say that there's moments where it's like wait what just happened you know and like that doesn't happen in the movie Uh, i i do have my problems with the detention film but I do think the the human drama aspects of it are really, really well played. And they do tug at your heartstrings. Yeah. Uh, I would say overall that the Fatal Frame film is like just a better film yes. for me personally. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the tension definitely hits some like cool points where it's like, wow. Yeah. Well, the thing that really impressed me about the tension, though, is that it's so faithful to the game and yet it works as a movie. Yeah, you know that. That yeah, sure. I agree with you. I think I like the Fail Frame movie a lot more, but I was really impressed. And it's like to the point where maybe you checked out Detention or watched a video, and you're like, I don't know if I want to play this, but you're interested. Like mm-hmm. the movie would totally be worth watching, and like you would kind of get like the the feel of the story and the messaging and all that kind of shit. Um, yeah, but yeah, so Fatal Frame. Uh, Fatal Frame is way different uh, from the games and from Detention. But, you know, the, the, another thing before we kind of get to the movies individually, one thing that I noticed across both of these two that I thought was very cool and that I also think is a really good thing that people could do if they were working on a project like this is that I think both of these movies highlight the supernatural drama elements yeah, totally. These stories rather than the more traditional kind of jump scare horror haunted house stuff that's in these games. Mm-hmm. Cuz like both of these games have that stuff, especially Fatal Frame. Mm-hmm. But both movies are kind of more like, hey, let's focus on the character drama, let's focus on the supernatural drama aspect of it rather than that stuff. Well, the best parts of Detention do that. But detention does fall a bit into the popcorny realm of things. Yeah, when it gets to stuff like monsters, and 
I mean, we'll talk about it later when we talk about the movie. But yeah, I think that's where Detention's shortcoming is because, uh, yeah, it's human drama is so well done. Yeah, and that's one thing to say about both these movies is that, like, they're not indie movies. These are both, like, mainstream Mm. horror movies. I mean, they're from different cultures, like Fail Frame's a Japanese movie, Detention's a Taiwanese movie. So they look a little bit different than mainstream American movies, but they're still mainstream movies. Detention does look like it has a pretty big budget, too. Yeah, totally. And I mean, especially like with Fatal Frame, we'll talk about the style. Fatal Frame has a really great and unique style, but it still is Mm -hmm. like such a J-horror movie. Like they both have tropes and like when they pop up, it's kind of funny, I guess. Or like it, it can be sort of funny if you're not like ready for it. To me, I mean... We've God, we've beaten this topic to death, but like I love J horror movies. I've watched approximately one billion J horror movies. Blah blah blah. So when I see this stuff, it's just like, yeah, these are like the movies I like. So whatever. <laughs> but like I could totally see that if you stumbled into this, you didn't know it could be jarring or whatever. But yes, these are like mainstream horror movies from the countries that they're from. You know. Tell me if I'm a little off base with this assessment, but the Fatal Frame film to me feels a lot like a BBC melodrama or something like that. something that feels kind of classy. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about fatal frame. Okay. <laughs> we get, we got to talk about this. Okay. So fatal frame 2014, this is a film directed by Mari Asato. Um, Mari Asato is another Japanese director who, if you had asked me to name my favorites, I wouldn't have said, but then once I actually looked at her filmography, I was like, damn, Mario Sato is like kind of the goat, you know? Like, mm. if you've listened to our uh, our episode on J-Horror, our, I think that's the Zero Brightness Plus episode on J-Horror. Uncle Ollie's J-Horror Corner. Yes, if you've listened to that episode, you uh, have heard me slowly realize that, like, Takashi Shimizu is another, like, master of the form. That's a dude who created Juan, so, like, mm. that's kind of a dead giveaway, but... Uh, I slowly realized over the course of episodes, like, man, maybe like Takashi Shimizu is the goat. I kind of had the same thing with Mario Sato uh, mm. because so Mario Sato made this movie, which I love. She also directed Juon Black Ghost, which mm-hmm. is like arguably the best Juon movie, which is insane. Um, no way. I, I mean, said, it's a cool side story to the Juon lore. I would call it the best. It is cool, though. I could argue that it's the best. I'm saying you could argue. I'm not saying. (laughs) I think the best is probably still the first theatrical one. That's my pick. Which Uh, is the third one. The third one. I think that's still the best, but this was the only one I saw after that that hit me in that same way, where Mm. I was like, damn, this rocks. But, okay, um, I'll, I'll let you have that opinion. Yeah, right? Like, I'm not saying it's the best we <laughs> could. But so then I realized that she also made a movie called Twilight Syndrome, uh, mm. which is like a really fun movie uh, that is actually based on a video game that I'm like, I didn't know that and I'm super unfamiliar with. Mm, interesting. Um, and I guess this, these are games that were directed by Goichi Suda, which is crazy. Oh. Um, yeah, so she has this whole like thing. She also did a cool short that's in uh, Hideshi Hino's Theater of Horror, which is like a, a really fun. Um, it's a really fun like compendium that's based on the manga artist Hideshi Hino. Uh, she has a short in there. She's basically I'm trying to say Maria Sato rocks, and uh, <laughs> she directed this Fatal Frame movie. Now, first thing you need to know about this movie, like I said, it is a supernatural drama that mm-hmm. does not feel like any of the fatal frame games mm-hmm. and it's better for it. I think you could also look at it as a radical queer reinterpretation of some of the <laughs> weird sexual stuff that's in the fatal frame games. And that's like kind of the best thing about this movie, but it feels so classy at the same time. Yes. Like, See the yeah. big thing about this movie when you watch it right away it's got this style it visuals the music the direction everything the editing it feels like a 70s style maybe like maybe british kind of period drama thing but it's set in the modern day 
Well, you know, on this aesthetics thing, it, it kind of does this thing where it the era that it shows you is really ambiguous. Yes. Like all the girls dress like it's like the sixties or seventies and a lot of the props they use are very antiquated, mm-hmm. but at the same time you'll see like little flashes of modernity. Like they go into town and like a, a modern car will drive by or somebody uses a modern piece of technology or something. Yes. And so in that way, a couple things that this movie reminded me of, which once again, I totally was not expecting the first time I watched it. And I was like, what the fuck? Uh, obviously a big one would be like the Virgin suicides, hmm. um, where it kind of has that gauzy dreamy seventies oh, sure. aesthetic, but also like you said, it's very out of time. Like it doesn't have a distinct era that it's set in. Um, big Virgin suicides vibes. Another one that actually is an old movie really really reminds me of picnic at hanging rock yeah totally it's got that um it's definitely got the pace and the vibe right and and you know that movie so picnic at hanging rock is a 1975 australian movie Mm -hmm. um it's kind of a slow burn mystery that is centered around the disappearance of a bunch of schoolgirls during a picnic at hanging rock Mm -hmm. uh and i mean that's like a super influential movie uh it's it's really really great and once again it's actually from the 70s so it's got that once again that hazy dreamy kind of like 70s Mm -hmm. aesthetic to it it's really great and i think once again you can see modern movies that have that kind of throwback timeless look to them virgin suicides comes to mind more recently um the love witch comes to mind uh which is a movie that i really enjoyed um, yeah that's more on like that one felt more campy or tarantino-y and less classy you know but just the attention to detail and the aesthetics yeah. were like the director uh really like went out of her way to recreate the like technicolor look Mm -hmm. Um, this movie, it's not, yeah, it's not as devoted to doing something like that, but it is so striking. Like immediately it's got this and and, and obviously it's got like, uh, um, what's his name? Dario Argento vibes, right? I was going to stay Argento. I mean, we've got a bunch of teenage girls in a creepy old, creepy old house mansion thing and they have to figure out the, uh the big puzzle before everyone dies yes but instead of the camera leering at them it's helping them figure out their sexuality yeah (laughs) i would also argue that there's a bit of a tale of two sisters vibes too yeah well you know actually um one thing not not to totally detour into this although i could and you know i could uh is that in a lot of like uh korean like south korean horror movies uh, a lot of them do this thing where they have this 70s dreamy vibe somewhere between Picnic at Hanging Rock and like Suspiria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they cop that vibe without setting it in the past. Tale of Two Sisters, I think, is a huge influence on that. But you can see it a lot. I mean, you can see it in that. Uh, what was that vampire movie? Was it called Thirst? that like Mm, korean vampire movie um definitely has a vibe even parasite a little bit has that vibe with just like how like it feels like a crazy 70s drama and like some of the shots that are like inside the house are just so like crazy Mm. and and like lush you Mm -hmm. know that i feel like like a lot of great korean horror horror adjacent movies sort of like cop that thing um cop that style I've mm-hmm. noticed that. But yeah, this totally has a little bit of that Tale of Two Sisters out of time kind of vibe. Yeah, totes. But okay, so the setup of this movie is essentially there is somewhere in Japan, in a small town in Japan, there's a Catholic all-girls school. Uh, <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, you know, in, you know, whatever the Roman Catholic part of Japan that we're all familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh there so and at this all-girls school there basically starts uh to be this trend or maybe it's more like an urban legend that you can fall under a curse 
mm-hmm. uh, that basically starts with sort of like a, a secret admirer and ends with you basically being under the thrall of a ghostly woman. Um, yes. And without getting too deep into details of it, essentially there's one girl in the school who disappears, but not really. She's like locked inside a room and no one has seen her. And she starts appearing to them as this ghostly woman and leading to the actual disappearance of other girls at the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even sometimes like on mass. Yes. And so that's the, the intro of this movie. I will warn viewers or potential viewers the intro is like a little bit confusing um it jumps around and shows you a lot of characters but about 30 minutes into the movie um and you know this movie's about it's like 100 minutes long so it's you know hour 40 like 30 minutes into the movie it kind of shapes up and locks into this plot around these two characters yeah the beginning is a little tough too because like they don't like name the characters yes so i feel like it was like 25 30 minutes before i even knew the main characters names yes <laughs> and there's a like a quite a handful of like teenage girls to remember their names for too yes exactly but so about 30 minutes in it it shapes up and it snaps into focus that the plot is about two of the girls at this school one of them is named michi uh, and she's kind of like a loner a little bit. Uh, she is a photographer who kind of got wrapped up in all this uh, curse business kind of almost by accident. And then mm-hmm. there's Aya, who's the girl that has been appearing to the rest of the school as this like evil ghost. But there's also a real version of her. And so then those two start doing some detective work to try and stop the curse and figure out what's going on. Yeah, so apparently Aya was missing for like over a month, locked yeah. in her room. And that's when she started appearing to all these girls. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she shows back up after some girls had already disappeared after seeing her, though. Yeah. So they kind of um, turn on her a bit. Yeah. And so it's kind of like Aya and Michi versus everyone. Yeah. Well, and it's super cool because while they're going out and trying to to figure out this mystery a bunch of things are standing in their way so like you said you've got their classmates who like hate Aya because they're like you're evil you're making people kill themselves Uh, you've got all this weird stuff that's happening at the school with the ghost version of Aya Um, and then you've also got uh, like the people who work at the school who are mm-hmm. all kind of like weird and mysterious and are not being very helpful. Yeah, there's one guy, one mysterious guy with a bum leg. Yeah. And then like the school superintendent that like first she actually told the girls about the curse, but then she's being all wishy-washy about it. Yeah, super weird. And then yeah, the girls meet uh a couple characters like in town that are former students that know about it. Yes. Um, there's even some cameos, some minor characters from a, a manga called the Kurosagi Corpse Delivery Service. Yeah. And they just like show up for a couple scenes and like read some minds and disappear, which I guess is a cool Easter egg for people familiar with the manga. Yeah. And I guess that's because the, uh, the screenplay was written by the same author who writes that manga. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So he decided to throw himself a bone and put some of his <laughs> characters in there. But it's like, it's fun and it's cool because it makes you realize just like how unique and weird this movie is. And like, mm-hmm. so, you know, okay, there's a couple really cool things about this movie and that do sort of tie it into the game Fatal Frame. Because at this point you might be wondering like, what the fuck does this have to do with Fatal Frame? <laughs> um, well, Besides so f- teenage girls and ghosts? Yes. Uh, yeah. So the first thing is that this curse that I mentioned earlier, it's spread by a photo. Um, and it starts as a photo of this girl, Aya, who's one of the main characters who's also appearing to other people as a ghost that she insists isn't her. Um, so this photo of her starts circulating and it's kind of like a cursed photo that people fall under the thrall of. Yeah, and they like fall in love with her. Yes. And they all end up going to this like bell tower to try and kiss this photo at midnight. Mm-hmm. But it's like in this weird way where they're like sleepwalking or they're not fully in control of themselves. Yeah. Um, and so that gets introduced. And then, you know, 
maybe halfway through the movie and, and I'm going to try and keep the spoiler light because I actually want people to go watch the movie but like halfway through this isn't really a big spoiler but halfway through the movie they actually go into town and they talk to this one woman named Miss Mary who mm-hmm. is like she's a really great character actually because like the first time you see her she's dressed in this super crazy way where she's like almost like she works at a cafe or something like yeah a, like lolita dress up but she's like probably in her 30s yeah exactly and she talks in this really crazy way like she's obviously putting on this weird act because she works yeah. at like that's like her job you know mm-hmm. but then the next time he's here she's at her other job and she just like is smoking a cigarette and she like works at a factory and she's just wearing like a jumpsuit yeah uh, and so they start hanging out with her and trying to find out what's going on with this curse and she introduces them to the backstory behind it uh, which is that she's actually a photographer and like her family were all photographers and she actually has like the camera obscura in her little photo studio and her son goes around town taking ghost photos with it. Yeah. Uh, And she actually reveals to them that her theory on the origin of this curse, which the movie then, you know, takes kind of in a different direction. uh, while also not taking it in a different direction at all. Um, Her theory is basically that in the past, there were lesbian couples at this all girls school. Mm hmm. And the people who ran the school and the rest of the town and the rest of society wouldn't accept it and wouldn't let them be a same-sex couple. So some of the girls, and one couple in particular, started doing a thing where they would go get portraits taken and then go commit double suicide in the lake. And like the whole theme of the movie from that point, because the movie has had this kind of like homoerotic undercurrent like for the whole first part of it and then at that point it like really makes it the actual text of the story that like this sort of generational curse of society and people not being able to be who they are Mm -hmm. and like actually be themselves which in this case is like these like girls who want to like live as like out gay couples who aren't allowed to yeah, and it's done in such, like, a tasteful way. It's, like, never, ever exploitative. Yeah. And there's not, like, a lick of cleavage in, like, this entire movie or, yeah. like, any, like, short skirt kind of bullshit. It's just, yeah. like, very straightforward and, like, super, like, chill about it. Well, and it's told in a way that is so cool. Like, mm. it's done in this way where it's central to the plot, it's slowly revealed to you, and then it, like, stays as a theme and a focus of the movie like you said it's super respectful and it's also just like a really good story like that's yeah. what i just told you isn't the whole story like the movie keeps going mm-hmm. with it goes in different directions and it's so cool and it it goes into both like this larger societal intolerance of gay people but also the sort of like smaller issues between these girls like some of whom are trying to wrestle with their sexuality and some of whom aren't you know and Mm -hmm. man it's like done so well and the big thing see this is the thing when i actually saw that was part of the movie and they were going in that direction my mind was fucking blown because like (laughs) let's talk about it right fatal frame they're these video games the first few at least mostly star teenage girls they're like directed by dudes and they have this kind of leery like male gaze aspect to them right well, we've played the first two for the show yeah and i haven't really felt any like overt creepiness from the first two games but i do f- i've heard that it ramps up in the later games it does and yeah. even in the first two it's it's kind of like you have to acknowledge it's there a bit like it's it's part of the dna of the series unfortunately although yeah the first two it's it's much more like reasonable i think uh and so i thought that f- to take a series like that and then give like a director who is a woman uh control the story and then for her to take it and make it a story about like intolerance towards lesbians and specifically like teen girls who are trying to figure out their sexuality mm-hmm man that's so fucking cool like that's a ballsy move it's hugely hugely just like fuck you it's like the coolest (laughs) fuck you move ever and also like i said i mean it's done in such a cool way uh it's done really well and i even think that 
to do it in that style where you cop that kind of 70s drama mm-hmm. aesthetic is really cool because I feel like a lot of those movies too I mean regardless of what movie you're talking about or or you know what specifically we want to use as an example there always kind of was this like undertone of like homoeroticism mm-hmm. or like this undertone of that so I think to do a modern movie that cops that aesthetic and then makes it the actual text of the story is like chef's kiss dude it's so (laughs) fucking good and it's just a good movie too like it goes a little bit off the rails at the end i don't think anybody would argue that you know i mean you gotta have a couple spooks in the spooky movie right well that is one thing it is not like a hugely spooky movie (laughs) like i said i think it is much more of a supernatural drama which Mm -hmm. if you're a j-horror fan once again you're just used to that like when you pick up a j-horror movie there is a 20 percent chance that it is actually just like a supernatural drama that will kind of make you tear up at the end like yeah yeah that's sort of just like the vibe <laughs> and mm-hmm. this is definitely more that kind of movie than it is something that's like a real thrill ride you know sure yeah yeah all in all i thought it was pretty good i mean good enough for me to watch it twice so yeah highly recommended it's easy to find too because i think the whole whole thing's on youtube yes you can watch it on youtube i've posted this link in our discord before i'll probably post it again um yeah you know i think another thing too it it does have some good you know a couple good spooks a couple good uh scenes with ghosts and stuff but I think that the fact that it's more of a drama it makes it very mm-hmm. approachable. It's got good characters that are very likable. It's got some lighthearted scenes that are like kind of funny. Um, it's got some like a couple of actual good jokes in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think just jump on that YouTube and watch this movie. I really can't like recommend it enough. I've watched it probably like three or four times at this point. It's a great movie. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. It's better than watching Guardians of the Galaxy again, you fucking loser. (laughs) Man, I like... Dude, real shit. When we started this podcast, I was like so pulling my punches about the stuff that people like that I thought was just like loser bullshit. And now I'm just like, (laughs) I'm so over it now where I'm like, (laughs) man, y'all will really just fucking watch anything and then not watch Fatal Frame, the movie Geki Joban Zero by Mari Asato from 2014. Fuck (laughs) y'all. Y'all need to get off that Infinity War and watch Geki Joban Zero. Y'all need to stop watching the movie about that big purple guy with the shitty jewelry and watch this fucking movie. This movie rocks. Geki Joban Zero's Uncle James approved. (laughs) Stamp sound effect. Four out of five jalapenos. (laughs) I mean, well, and you know, I think too, if you have watched a video game adaptation that you thought sucked. This movie will be hugely satisfying because it's great. <laughs> Are we going to call it the best video game adaptation film? Yeah, I mean that's really not saying much. It is like barely a video game adaptation, but yeah, there is a camera obscura, so we got to call it. Yeah, I I would say that. I would say too <laughs> that like I wish more video game adaptations would do this. Sure. Right? Cuz like okay, here's a okay, so I'm not going to say this is a great movie, so don't quote me as saying this is a great movie, okay, please? But I will say that the first Resident Evil movie... Fuck out of here. No, like... <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to hear the rest of your fucking sentence. Fuck out of here. I'm F-O-H. saying they got the license and the director said, I want to make a crazy action movie that's like kind of based on the Resident Evil franchise. And honestly, I don't think that movie's that bad. I actually like that movie for what it is. And I think that it kind of has, I mean, it has a similar idea behind it. Now, the rest of that series is is pretty bad. Like, the second one is insanely bad. And that one is just them playing, like, 
like they just made a really big shitty collage of like things that they kind of remembered were in the games or whatever. I only saw the first one and I didn't like it. I like that movie. It's just like cube, but fucking resident evil. <laughs> that makes me not want to watch cube. Oh, well now cube was tight. I'm just saying cube like, is a solid two and a half stars, dude. No cube is great. I love cube, but <laughs> I'm saying that I would rather people make their own story that's inspired by this work or that could sort of exist in the same universe as the the game that it's based on than I would someone try and adapt something straight, right? Mm. And that's what's funny about the Silent Hill movie that I love, as you know. I mean, I get when people don't like it because they did kind of try to do an adaptation of the original Silent Hill game, but then just like change a bunch of stuff for no reason. And mm-hmm. it's like, there's really no quicker way to make someone who actually likes the series or the thing that you're basing your movie on just go like, no, you know? So like when, you know, when I start talking about it and people who love Silent Hill are like, dude, shut the fuck up. I'm like, I, I accept that. Like, I don't agree <laughs> with it, but I fully accept people hating it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, the problem with Silent Hill is not changing like the dad to a mom. The problem with Silent Hill movie is more about like all the cult shit they packed in, you know, but I don't know. This episode's not about Silent Hill. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it too much. Well, no, but I'm just saying like when you look at bat or like, well, let's okay. Briefly, the second Silent Hill movie is like, they tried to make an adaptation of Silent Hill three, but like it's horrible. And it's like a collage. That's what I'm saying is that like, when you look at something like fatal frame, they made their own story that's cohesive from start to finish. It's its own thing. It doesn't really relate to the games, but theoretically it could be in the same universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas that game is like, this is silent Hill three. And you're like, the fuck it is dude. Like, (laughs) no. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's what I, and it's, you know, you can look at the same thing with video games that are based on movies the good ones are not like play the movie. They tried that. It didn't work. It's bad. (laughs) The good ones are, we made our own story that I guess could be in the same universe. That uses a lot of the same ideas. You know what I mean? Dude, die hard trilogy PS one. Yeah. You kidding? Great. But it's not (laughs) play the movie. It's not like, Oh, here's a QTE where you crawl through a bunch of ducts or something. Yeah. Like, That's what I mean to me. I think that's what makes a good adaptation is when you have that mindset of we're going to make our own thing, you know? Sure. Yeah, totally. So, anyway, that's why the first Resident Evil movie is good, actually. <laughs> Zero stars. Zero jalapenos. <laughs> anyway, you are correct in saying we're not talking about that. So, we're going to move on to our second film, Detention yes. 2019, directed by John Shu. This one's a little harder to get your fingers on. Good luck out there. Yes. Uh, maybe we can help you if you come to where we live and ask nicely, <laughs> a.k.a. the Discord. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Are you a cop? <laughs> if you come to the Discord and you can prove that you're not a cop, um, <laughs> we will help you. But So this movie, uh, released in 2019, like I said, directed by John Shu. It's actually his first feature, which is nuts. Wow. Yeah. Um, good job. John <laughs> uh, and it came out it got a bunch of awards in Taiwan mostly mm-hmm. uh, and then you know we you can see that uh, there was some Chinese objection to it uh, there was a cultural push from China against this movie and mysteriously it disappeared from everywhere did it okay Yes. God damn it, China. So there was a boycott of this movie specifically uh, at the 56th Golden Horse Awards, wow. uh, which is a Taiwanese uh, movie awards ceremony. And uh, yeah, I think that's the only thing you can find online about it. But then after that, suddenly, like you said, it's like a Warner Brothers yeah. uh, film. But then suddenly you can't get anywhere. It's not available anywhere internationally. Like strange. Yeah. 
and it, it got some international recognition. It says that it, it was a, yeah. an inter, a official selection at the 2020 International Film Festival in Rotterdam. I mean, you can see that it was starting to get out there and then suddenly disappeared, which is, I mean, honestly, that's kind of all we know about what happened to the, the second Red Candle production, which mm-hmm. was um, Devotion. Devotion, right? Like, we don't have the specific details, but we know that... Chinese forces got mad and mm. the game disappeared from everywhere, right? Yeah. So it's it's sad once again. If you want to hear me rant all about that, we have multiple episodes on that. <laughs> but yeah, it sucks with this movie because this movie's great. Um so okay, Taiwanese horror films. Have you seen any other ones? The only ho- other horror film I've seen is called The Tag Along. Oh yeah, I have seen which that movie. Was, it kind of, like, it's it's a pretty popcorny horror movie, but at the, at the end, it has, like, this, like, I don't know, the messaging feels really, like, state-sponsored. Well, I mean, we kind of talked all about the relationship between Taiwan and China mm-hmm. in the episode about devotion, um, which the listeners can go check out if they hadn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that Taiwan as a country is kind of constantly in the shadow of China and is making decisions to, to try and navigate that situation because Mm -hmm. China just wants to like annex Taiwan and has forever. And Taiwan is a different country and a different culture. And is like, no, we're not China, you know? Right. Uh, so there's always that back and forth i mean the other thing too is that i mean horror movies are kind of weird to go look at from any traditional culture because like i think in america we're so used to like the traditional culture in horror films being christianity Mm -hmm. and so like sometimes you go look at a movie and you almost don't think about that messaging or it just doesn't really like stand out to you because it's just like oh it's just like christianity and then when you go see it in another culture you're like oh that's weird you know yeah like i've definitely had that experience with thai some like thai horror films um and like some horror films from singapore that i've seen where it's just like oh that's weird you know and it's like Mm -hmm. that kind of messaging pops up in it but i don't know i i think that is probably um the tag along is probably like the only uh taiwanese horror movie that i've seen now that i'm actually looking it up yeah Uh, this is definitely not like that uh (laughs) Yeah, like how did this get made? And now I understand why it disappeared so fast. Yes. So, you know, once again, we already talked about detention in the detention episode. You can go check out that episode if you want. This movie has the same plot. Uh exactly. Yeah. Down Shockingly to- so. It's it's really accurate. Yeah. And so, you know, the the elevator pitch for it is basically there's a school, you know, this is set in the sixties in Taiwan, which was during a very like fascistic period of Taiwanese history called the white terror. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, you know, ideologically opposed, but functionally very similar to the sort of, uh, anti-reactionary period in Chinese history. Um, which ironically was when was actually extremely reactionary and they were basically going around and saying that anyone who they deemed was an enemy of the state had it to be had to be eradicated right like they were either Mm -hmm. killed or they were sent to these like horrible camps all this sort of stuff happened right um the same kind of thing happened in taiwan except under the the banner of actual fascism like they were actually like the government was a military based like fascist government Mm -hmm. uh and so this story concerns a school where a certain group of teachers and students start like a banned book club Mm -hmm. where they start circulating and actually reproducing as well as reading banned books and the the focus of the story is two characters one of whom is in this club and the other of whom is not in this club Right. And you kind of slowly, they're stuck in this weird Silent Hill-esque other world <laughs> within the school. And the movie kind of slowly unravels the ways in which their two stories are connected and how those two characters are connected. Right. So it jumps back between like character drama 
of the past and then they're, they're like hell world present yes where the girl has to figure out like what the hell's going on and i actually you know the game did that very very well and i think this movie does that very very well too uh i almost feel like the movie maybe does it a little bit better than the game uh, it, it really helps you relate to the characters more because you're actually seeing them like live their lives out instead of just like reading notes and seeing little flashbacks here and there yes and also the art style of the game was so minimal that sometimes it was kind of hard to tell which character was who yeah uh which is very nice to not have that problem in the movie <laughs> where it's like oh yeah there we go uh but the big thing too is that i mean so in the game there were like monsters a little bit yeah <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. the designs are cool but it's almost in there a little too much uh the movie kind of fixes that problem by having even less monsters like there's no little monsters there's only the big monsters and they only pop up like three times in the movie well here's uh, my thing they should have popped up zero times in the movie I accept that criticism, but I don't think you're wrong. But also, like, if you've played the game and you watch this movie, you see that they were, like, literally just mm-hmm. doing the, the game as a movie. Yep. And yep. so it was kind of like, I get why they put the monsters in, because they put everything else in. It so didn't need it, though. Like, it could really stand on its own as a character drama. And then, you know, with the Silent Hill world, you get the horror. I th- I. Th- uh, I, I feel like the monsters are shoehorned in here to its detriment. I, I agree. Cause I mean, the, the striking thing about this movie as it is with the game um, is that the real monster is fascism. Yeah. And you know, you feel it too, because you care about these characters. Like there's these little kids in the band book club. There's a couple teachers. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole story, but even like the the not really likable characters are still somehow likable yes you know? yeah it's interesting like you really care for all these characters especially w- when they're like when they have to like deal with fascism face first and they just have to like be strong and deal with it so later they can have their band book club like there's a there's one part that's like really kind of disturbing where uh they're having like in, in in the main meeting in the middle of the school, they're having kind of an assembly and everybody's singing. And while like the state is like dragging some, some teacher out of his classroom and they're going to, you know, like throw him in a van and he's never going to be seen again. And he's just like screaming about the government while they throw him in the van. And, uh, they're like forced to sing through it all, you know? Yeah. Stuff like that is real, you know, super powerful, you know, something a monster could never do. Well, I agree with that. And also then later in the other world, they use that same imagery in a way that Mm -hmm. is once again, way more affecting and terrifying. Like they keep showing this image of like a bunch of people hung from the rafters. It's really scary. And then like similar, one thing that's really cool that they borrowed from the game. And I think did better um, is the game keeps looping you back to this like assembly hall. Uh, it's like an old style assembly hall like an, you may have had in your school if you're our age or older yeah. uh, where it's like a gym but it has a stage at the end yeah. of it it's like that and they keep looping it back but every time it's like more and more fucked up uh, and like at the end there's a scene where there's just a bunch of people with like bags over their head which they've shown you before in like more real world scenes which is like what mm-hmm. they do when they when they take someone away they put a bag over their head and then you see just like a whole room of people like that and yeah stuff like that in that kind of silent hilly context is very scary and very affecting and they definitely didn't need the giant lantern monster but he's there and he's kind of cool i mean they did a good job with it you know he's like a lantern monster but they they redesigned him a bit for the movie yeah he's wearing like fascist clothes he almost looks like a giant 20 foot tall nazi with a mirror face yes yeah like that come on that's cool like that's kind of cool i guess whatever i mean i'm not disagreeing with you yeah i'm not disagreeing (laughs) with you i'm just saying like it could have been a lot worse i guess more nazi mirror man for you (laughs) yeah exactly oh you don't want any nazi mirror man more nazi mirror man for me then huh (laughs) uh but yeah like oh man the other world crazy psychedelic imagery in this movie is fantastic Mm -hmm. um there's some great scenes with like that saturated red lighting that they used in the game. Um, great stuff with like silhouettes and shadow. 
uh, it's super cool. And yeah, I mean, the coolest thing they did. So you know, we keep talking about how they didn't change anything from the game, but <laughs> one thing that they did change that I thought was awesome is that they kind of give you two main characters instead of one. Yes, and I think and, that's important to the story, the human drama part of the story. Yes. So, like I said, one of the characters um, is the the character that you actually control for like ninety eight percent of the game, which is uh, Fong Rei Shin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other character is Wei Shang Ting, who is like an actual member of the band book club. You kind of see way more of him in the movie than in the game. Like he's in the game. And you even control him for a little tiny bit of the beginning, right? Yeah. Of the game. But, like, in the movie, he's actually the other main character, right? He might even have more screen time than the female character. Well, and maybe. It's, it's actually really interesting the way they do it because they structure the story really differently than the game as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really structured so that in the beginning, you're seeing more of his perspective and then in the back half you see more of her perspective right and it's a lot of the things are actually delivered at the same point in the story as they are in the game but because you had that first part that was more centered on Wei and the second part that's more centered on Fong like it's actually way more affecting like when you get the scenes that show her home life and what happens with her parents and all that kind of stuff like Mm -hmm. It hits a little harder just because it's almost like you're seeing the other side of the coin, you know? Sure. And I mean, it's it's one of those films where, like, not everyone is, like, pure good guy or pure bad guy. So there's a lot of, you know, moral ambiguity. And uh, having the characters deal with that, it, like, moral ambiguity in, like, a fascist state is really interesting and kind of heart-wrenching. Oh, yeah. Totally. And once again, I think that some of the the big plot beats just hit harder because the story is less ambiguous. Yeah. Um, Cause the story is kind of all built around this big tragedy. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this big tragic twist that kind of leads to where the characters are at the start of the film, which is stuck in this kind of weird other world. Uh, it seems like everyone's dead. There's all this like funerary imagery everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very strange and it kind of slowly reveals to you what happened. I would say in the game, it's done very well. Of course, like I love the game, but in the movie it just hits harder because you've seen all the contacts and you get what's going on. Yeah. Parts of the game, especially as concerned the relationship between Fong and one of her teachers, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little abstract in the game and it's almost like when you figure it out you're like ah. <laughs> but like in the movie it's so clear what's happening that it's actually more of just like an oh kind yeah. of thing yeah and i kind of liked that better yeah you get more emotionally invested in it i will say too that i think that's once again to go back to how do you adapt something what makes an adaptation good i think that's the brilliance of the adaptation in this movie is that in the game it's done in a strange abstract way that ends up being very beautiful, but it's abstract because you're meant to play it and experience it and figure it out for yourself. Right. It's, it's almost like you want to focus on characters instead of the plot hits, but they do both here and they do both really well. But if the character drama wasn't as strong, it would fall flat on its face. Which it almost does a couple times with monsters, but it doesn't. Yeah, but like the thing that I think that's really brilliant in the movie is that they take all that stuff and yeah, they just make it way more obvious and just Mm -hmm. sell you the character drama. It almost has a Del Toro vibe, almost, you know? Oh, totally. Uh, Fably, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's, it's really cool because once again, if they had made the movie as abstract as the game, instead of being engaging it would have just been confusing. Mm, But because it's a movie, I think they were made a very smart choice to just be like, let's just give you the story. Here's the story. And I think that's kind of the the big secret to why this movie works so well. Um, Well, yeah. And if the the game had you flash back and forward so much, it would be more of like taking your hands off the controller, you know? And yes, that's, that's a double edged sword, right? 
Yeah. Do you want to play a game or do you want to watch a game? So. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And I don't know. I just think this movie is really great. I will say about the monster stuff that they're all pretty short scenes. Mm-hmm. So I think even though, yeah, it has a little bit of, has a couple jump scares and has a little bit of corny monster stuff. Like it's all very short. It's a very small part of the movie. Yeah. Total, totally worth watching, especially if you played the game and enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, even if you just, you know, it's, it's got the same feel as fatal frame too, where it's kind of like a period piece, you know, yes. this one's a little less ambiguous since you know, it's in the sixties, but I don't know. I, I think these two movies make a great double feature together, honestly. Well, absolutely. And yeah, you're totally right there where this, this is a period piece. And like I said at the beginning, I think these movies both focus more on the supernatural drama Mm -hmm. side of things and they're way more about the characters and the story than they are like being this white knuckle terror kind of thing (laughs) uh which in the case of the detention is super appropriate for the game and in the case of fatal frame is more just like a very interesting twist on the game right um but yeah i think i think it's a super cool choice you know yeah like, I definitely did not expect to think about, like, Picnic at Hanging Rock and uh, <laughs> yeah. Virgin Suicides and, like, you know, shit like that when I came to watch these movies. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of exceeded all my expectations on both of these films. I watched both twice. I mean, Detention is probably not one I'll watch a third time, uh, but Fatal Frame is pretty awesome, man. So, yeah. Uh, totally. You know, four jalapenos for Fatal Frame. Maybe three and a half for detention. Three jalapenos for detention. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I think they're definitely. W- once again, I mean, I think when it comes to adaptations, risks are always in my book. Risks are always welcome because at the end of the day, you're trying to make something for someone who's a fan who wants to experience something new within the world and within the franchise mm-hmm. and just see something that's cool. And I think both of these movies like take some risks and change things around and end up doing that in a way that I have not seen from like a Western production, you know? Well, we need to look further into uh, Japanese video game adaptation films because I know there's a Siren film. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I don't know if that's any good. There's got to be a couple more too. Well, you know, the thing I've watched... Okay, so if we're going to talk about Japanese movies, even just moving outside of horror, uh, I've watched an absolute fuck ton of Japanese adaptations. And a lot of them are pretty middle of the road, Mm. but they're all kind of better than Western adaptations Mm. because I think in Japan specifically it's just been a much longer tradition of having a franchise be multimedia. Like in the West, it felt more like, you know, if a book becomes a huge million seller and it could appeal to mom and dad, they'll make a movie about it. Right. That's why there's like 18 John Grisham based movies. Right. (laughs) But if it's something that's any more niche than that, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. But then like when the J horror boom happened, it seemed like that opened up this wellspring of like, we can start adapting stuff, which means we got like 15 years of just God awful fucking adaptations. <laughs> and now more recently people are starting to get their shit together. But if you look at Japan, it's like for years and years and years, you've got movies being turned into good video games. You got video games being turned into good movies. You've got, of course the manga to anime to live action film pipeline, right? Yeah. Like, and they like it seems like Japanese media in general is just very like efficient with that stuff so they'll make something good now the stuff isn't all mind-blowing right but you can generally go if you like an anime you can find or if you like a, a manga and maybe like an anime you can go find the live-action movie and watch it and it's gonna be at least like fine you know yeah so I feel like there is there is just more of that in in Japanese films but there is also a lot of just very middle of the road stuff. I would say these two still stand out. Sorry, there's a, there's a little bit of a Japanese <laughs> movie knowledge dropped on you. We, we got to read those uh, Clock Tower novels for a review. How about that? That's okay. I'm okay, actually. 
<laughs> I mean, I appreciate the offer, but I'm probably good. <laughs> Actually, that would be really funny if you could find those in English. Yeah, I'll do. I'll I'll pay someone on Fiverr to translate them for you. <laughs> Just get this really fucked up, janky. Like it'd be perfect. That's actually thematically like so fitting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. What do you know about Game Club? Next. D and D2. What do you know about Kenjiano? Warp games? Weird 90s shit? Y'all into that? After that, it's The Count Lucanor. Same dudes who did Yuppie Psycho. Y'all into that? 